This is an AMI podcast. Good morning. It's Tuesday, August the 9th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, Whitehorse has a new affordable, accessible housing unit. Megan Gilmore has the details in her accessibility report. Microsoft Edge web browser has a new accessibility feature. Nelson Rego of Cool Blind Tech will tell you all about it. Louise Levesque Burley looks ahead to Acadian Day in her community report. Acadian Day coming your way next week. The Rohingya people continue to face human rights abuses in Myanmar. Fareed Khan will share an update. And we wrap up the show when Corinne Van Dusen puts myself, Karen McGee, and Mark Phoenix to the test with the weekly news quiz. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day. And we're starting south of the border where the FBI searched former U.S. President Donald Trump's Florida estate yesterday. Sagar McGanny has the story. People familiar with the incident say it was part of an investigation into whether Trump took classified records from the White House to Mar-a-Lago. The Justice Department's been investigating potential mishandling of classified information since the National Archives and Records Administration said it took 15 boxes of classified records from Mar-a-Lago earlier this year. The search is a dramatic escalation of the law enforcement scrutiny of Trump, who said his home was raided and under siege. He's casting it as part of a Democrat-led effort to stop him from winning back the White House in 2024. Sagar Magani, Washington. Let's come back north of the border where the director of the University of Toronto's Citizen Lab will speak to the House of Commons Ethics Committee as part of its probe into the RCMP's use of spyware in 32 investigations in the last five years. Laurie Paris looks ahead to the appearance of Ron Deberts. In prepared remarks provided to the Canadian press, Ron Debert says what he calls the mercenary spyware industry is poorly regulated and associated with widespread abuses. He says the industry is a threat to civil society, human rights and democracy, and governments should be transparent about procurement of this technology. Yesterday, senior officers told the committee the RCMP does not use the controversial Pegasus spyware, but refused to disclose details about the technology it is using, citing national security concerns. The RCMP also says while the technology is new, the invasion of privacy on a digital device is similar to what police have done for years through wiretapping and installing surveillance cameras. Lori Paris, the Canadian Press. It was quite a busy day in Ottawa yesterday because the House of Commons Transport Committee also voted to launch an investigation into airport delays and cancellations. Najud Almajiz has more. The House of Commons Transport Committee is launching an investigation into airport delays and flight cancellations. The committee met virtually on Monday and voted unanimously to move forward with a study into the delays. The committee will invite Transport Minister Omar Al-Ghabra to testify and will hold its first hearing by the end of next week. Airlines and airports have been grappling with a surge in travel this summer, compounded by staffing shortages affecting both carriers and federal agencies. That's led to widespread flight cancellations, baggage delays and lengthy lineups with the Greater Toronto Area's Pearson International Airport the hardest hit by these issues. Nujud Amelis, The Canadian Press, Ottawa. Even more news out of federal politics. Sources close to the government's proposed $5.3 billion dental care plan say the Liberals are planning a temporary solution that involves giving money directly to patients in order to keep their promise to the NDP while they work on a more permanent solution. Laura Osman reports. 
The government has until the end of the year to provide some kind of coverage for low- and middle-income children as part of a supply and confidence agreement with the NDP to prevent an election before 2025. Sources with knowledge of the government's plans say the government is unlikely to meet its deadline and is planning a stopgap solution until a permanent incarnation of the program is put in place. In a statement, the health minister's staff did not confirm or deny the temporary plan, but say they're on track to deliver on the dental care commitment as outlined in the agreement with the New Democrats. Laura Osmond, The Canadian Press, Ottawa. And one more story for you this morning. Canadian Blood Services is urging donors to book and keep appointments as it faces a decrease in collection. Don Kelly has that story. Canadian Blood Services says its supplies have been steadily decreasing since July 1st. It currently has just four days worth of O-positive blood, five days of O-negative and B-negative blood, six days of A-negative blood, and seven days worth of A-positive and B-positive blood types. The number of people who donate blood regularly fell by 31,000 to a decade low during the pandemic, and Canadian Blood Services says there are 57,000 open appointments that must must be filled before the end of this month. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press, Toronto. Let's get to our daily polls. You can find us at AMI Audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Yesterday we asked you, should major festivals and parades offer financial compensation to their volunteers? The answers that were available were uh, yes, only if there's paid admission, or no, 100% of you said no. 100% of you said no. We did have a Facebook response from Diana who said, if it is a weekend festival like SunJest and they have to pay for camping, then yes, there should be remuneration for or free camping. Today's Daily Poll, at AMI-audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. We're going to be talking a little bit about this with uh, Nelson Rego. Well, sort of, kind of, a little bit later in the show, but it got me thinking, where do you spend most of your time online? Is it in apps or is it in web browsers? I had to give this some serious thought because for work, I spend a lot of time in web browsers, but in my personal time, I spend a lot of time just using apps. You know, I have a couple different news source apps. I have a couple different uh, social media apps, and that's where I spend most of my time. But when I'm working, I'm tending to use the web browser. But if I'm really getting down to it, I think if I had to be pinned down as which one I land more on, for me, it's apps, it's applications. So let's go over to Grace Scofield and find out about her internet usage. Grace, where do you find you land when it comes to spending time online? I think I'm definitely spending a lot more time in apps. I've got like some puzzle games on my phone that just like it, they make my commute go by so much mm-hmm. faster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but again, at work, I'm usually in web browsers. But even then, I'm using things like Twitter and other social medias. So I guess that could translate to apps. So I think I'm going to go with the apps answer. I definitely spend a lot of time on apps or scrolling through TikTok or doing Mm -hmm. something on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So definitely apps. It's funny because I would suggest that I prefer the user experience of web web browsers. I find them a little bit easier to use from an accessibility point of view. But the fact that my phone is just sitting there in my hand and I've got those apps there just makes it so easy to go that route. Exactly. Yeah. I find a lot of mindless scrolling is what I do a lot of the time. I just like click things and start scrolling through it. Uh, A lot of Twitter scrolling. That's how I spend a lot of my free time. An embarrassing amount of my free time is spent scrolling on Twitter, actually. Do you ever find that your thumb is scrolling, but your eyes aren't looking? Like maybe you're watching TV or you're listening to someone else, but the next thing you know, you look down and you're like, oh, I just scrolled for the last like minute and didn't process any of what I scrolled. I'm like clicking through Instagram stories, but not actually watching them 
we're paying attention. Um, or I'm like liking posts on Instagram and I don't actually know what I'm liking. <laughs> Got to be careful with that, Grace. Yeah, it's not very genuine social media use for me. I'm going to be honest. That'll 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 get you in cancel culture. You got to be careful what you what you smash on the like button on. Uh, Grace, thank you for this. Let's of bring course. in let's bring in Corinne Van Dusen. Corinne, when it comes to spending time online, are you using the apps more or are you spending more time in a web browser? Definitely apps. I use apps for everything, as you do. Uh, I have the news apps on my phone. Uh, I have my iPad with me all the time, which is apps. All of my uh, streaming services are apps. I don't have anything oh, yeah, like through true. the television. Banking done on apps. Like, you know, I, it's just so convenient to do everything on the app. You can get your email through an app. Like, you know, it's just, it's constantly there and you can do anything with it. But like you, for work, um, I use the web browser, which is where I am now. I'm not on a Skype app. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but it, divvy it up, I'm on apps way more than I'm on web browser. I would say the thing that sends me to a web browser and that gets me off the apps is anytime there needs to be a keyboard involved. So if I have to send a very quick, short email, I have no problem using my cell phone or using, uh, using a tablet for that. That doesn't really bother me. But if I need to get, say, more than three sentences out, I would much rather be in front of a keyboard. And that's where I think the web browser comes into play again, that if I'm going to send a long email or when I'm working on the script for the show in the morning, or if I'm just generally trying to do a little bit of research, I will say that just having a keyboard, there's something about it. It feels more productive. And yes, you can get keyboard attachments for tablets and for phones, et cetera. But again, now, now we're, now we're eliminating that convenience of something being singularly in my hand. So do you mm -hmm. find there's something that might actually draw you to a web browser, like the need to actually do something a little bit more in depth? Definitely. The, um, on the Globe and Mail today, all the scripts are put together on a web, from a web browser. Um, copy and paste. If I have to copy and paste anything, oh, yeah. definitely on that. No app <laughs> I've found can do that. Um, I also email a lot of stuff to myself. So if I find an article on Twitter while I'm scrolling that I want to read but don't want to have the small uh, font and pictures on my phone, I'll just email that to me so I can check it really quickly mm. uh, when I get to the web browser. But right if it's writing anything long, yes, it's definitely the browser because we, I know both you and I could not put scripts together if it was just clicking away <laughs> oh, on no, our no, Corinne, <laughs> no chance. You mentioned copy and pasting. Yes, you can do that on a phone, but it takes forever. I mm -hmm. find that I can never get everything I want and then I hit the button and the copy button doesn't pop up and then I try to paste it. It looks all weird. I, uh, I definitely think when it comes to copying and pasting, your boy needs a keyboard and a mouse for that one for sure. Uh, Corinne, thank you for this. We'll talk to you again in a couple minutes for the uh, big business story of the day. Thank you. That's Corinne Van Dusen. You can vote on the poll at AMI-audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. And it doesn't matter whether you use a web browser or the app to do that. We're just happy to hear your point of view. Let's bring in Grace Scofield again for the National Weather Update. Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting off in St. John's, Newfoundland, where it's cloudy with a 60% chance of showers this morning and a high of 15 degrees. In Halifax, it's cloudy today with a 30% chance of drizzle early this morning with showers beginning this morning as well and a high of 24 degrees. Over in Montreal, there's some showers ending this morning then mainly cloudy throughout this afternoon with a high of 22 degrees. In Ottawa, Ontario, periods of drizzle ending late this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 20 degrees. 
in Toronto, Ontario, a mix of sun and cloud today with a high of 24 degrees. And I don't know about you, Dave, but that little bit of cooler temperatures this morning was amazing. Very welcomed. <laughs> very welcomed on the walk into work. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's sunny with a mix of sun and cloud late this afternoon with a 30% chance of showers and a high of 32 degrees. Which makes me think that that's coming for us. It makes Absolutely me think that's coming for us tomorrow. <laughs> In Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's mainly sunny today with a high of 24 degrees. In Saskatoon, it's mainly sunny with a high of 25 degrees. Over in Calgary, Alberta, it's clearing up this morning with a heat warning in effect for the afternoon with a high of 27 degrees. In Edmonton, Alberta, it's clearing up this morning but will be a little cooler with a high of 25 degrees. Up in Yellowknife, it's mainly sunny today with a high of 19 degrees. Over in Vancouver, BC, some increasing cloudiness this morning with a high of 24 degrees. And in Victoria, BC, some increasing cloudiness early this morning with a high of 26 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. Coming up next, the Rohingya people continue to face human rights abuses in Myanmar. Farid Khan will share an update. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. Last, it's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Last month, the United Nations International Court of Justice rejected Myanmar's preliminary objection to a case regarding its alleged human rights abuses of the Rohingya minority. To learn more about the impact of this decision and where it may lead is Fareed Khan, founder of the organization Canadians United Against Hate. Hey, Fareed, thank you for making time to be with us today. We're always grateful for your insight. Well, thank you for having me back. So, Fareed, this case was brought forth by Gambia. What exactly were the claims being made by Gambia? Well, the case was filed in uh, 2019 after the world witnessed the atrocities that were being committed by Myanmar against the Rohingya. And uh, a claim by Gambia under the Genocide Convention was that the government of Myanmar committed genocide. And so the case was filed. And this most recent decision had to do with a complaint filed by Myanmar that uh, Gambia had no standing and didn't have a right to bring a case before the International Court of Justice. Farid, we've spoken to you before about the situation on the ground in Myanmar. Where does this decision leave the situation for the Rohingya people? Well, there's still 1.2 million people living in the largest refugee camp in the world in, uh, in Bangladesh. Um, there are still some 500 to 600,000. We're not sure the numbers because um, Myanmar stopped counting Rohingya in their census, but uh, there are somewhere between 500 to 600,000 Rohingya still trapped in Myanmar who are still being subjected to policies of genocide, oppression, and brutality. And uh, it's, uh, it's, in modern times, it's the world's longest ongoing genocide because essentially genocidal policies have been in place by the Myanmar government for uh, about four decades. And what we saw in 2017 and, and since then 
is just the final stage of the genocide, which is essentially to wipe out the um, remaining members of that minority group. There are a lot of human rights concerns going on across the globe right now. What kind of attention is 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 the plight of the Rohingya people getting right now in the context of so many other major uh, human rights abuses and, and genocides going on around the world? Well, it seems to have been lost. Um, occasionally, you get an uh, you know an issue like this pop up with the ICJ or something else comes up. Um, and uh, it's brought back to the forefront, but it's nowhere near the top of the media or the um, political agenda of nations the way it was uh, five years ago. Um, the thing is that Western nations and Canada and other Western nations in particular consistently um, set themselves up uh, saying that they are the defenders of the international legal order. Well, the international legal order includes the Genocide Convention. And, um, you know, if you're going to uphold the international legal order, then you need to be uh, enforcing those conventions and laws and treaties that have been signed. And frankly, it seems like uh, the West is talking out, out of both sides of its mouth when it says it's the international or it's a defender of the international uh, law and a defender of human rights, because it seems like it's selective. And um, as a result, you have people continuing to suffer and be brutalized in, in a number of places around the world. Farid, as you mentioned, this is a story that has been playing out for decades, but it's been playing out under the microscope for about five years. I remember we spoke to you in early 2021 after there was some political instability in Myanmar and a coup took place. What's the overall political situation on the ground right now in Myanmar? Well, the the the, uh, the coup has not, uh, the, the leaders of the coup have not uh, returned to democracy. There is still pressure um, for them to return to democracy. And the thing is, though, that uh, countries, including Canada, are doing business with that regime, despite the fact that it is no longer a democracy. Um, we filed a letter with uh, Global Affairs um, back in uh, 2020, after we had a meeting, and we cited instances of Canadian companies doing business with the Myanmar regime, despite uh, Canada saying that uh, this was a, um, a nation that had committed genocide. And as far as we know, no action has been taken. In addition, on two separate occasions, Canada made a very public um, uh, uh, display of saying it was going to support Gambia in its, uh, in its uh, case at the International Court of Justice. And as far as we know, nothing has been done following those announcements. So there's a lot of hypocrisy on the part of Canada and Western nations uh, with regard not just to um, Myanmar, but for example, the Uyghurs, uh, Kashmir, and other uh, minorities that have been brutalized and persecuted. Let's come back to the ICJ, the International Court of Justice. Now that this particular hurdle has been cleared, what's the timeline for any any kind of investigation or, or, or claims to be heard? And what are the consequences that Myanmar could face if they're found guilty? Well, unfortunately, these sorts of cases take years. We're already um, into year four since the uh, case was filed by Gambia and only 
recently, just last month, did we have this uh, complaint decision um, uh, decided upon by the judges, which, by the way, it was decided unanimously. Um, and uh, if we look to the example of uh, the, um, the case of the Balkans genocide um, and the people who were you know, put in front of the International Criminal Court in that case, it took more than a decade to see justice. Um, uh, as far as I know, no court case was brought uh, against uh, Serbia in that case uh, at the International Court of Justice. So unfortunately, it, there are many years ahead before this court case is decided. And should the, um, uh, should the justices decide in favor of the plaintiff, which in this case is Gambia, and they do issue a, um, uh, a decision in the favor of the Rohingya, then there's the matter of enforcement. Who's going to enforce that? And will, um, will Gambia abide by the, or, sorry, will uh, Myanmar abide by the uh, decision of the International, International Criminal Court? So um, it's good that it's there in front of the court, but there's still a long ways to go before a decision is made, and it remains to be seen whether justice will be truly done. Farid, so oftentimes on this show, we have a tendency to look inward and really keep our attention on a couple of international stories and really focus on Canadian stories as well. We're always so grateful that you help us expand our horizons, even though the stories that you share with us are oftentimes very difficult. We really appreciate your insight and your knowledge on these matters. So thank you for once again broadening our horizons. Well, thank you once again for having me back. That's Farid Khan, founder of Canadians United Against Hate, speaking to us from Ottawa, Ontario. Coming up next, we'll go into the territories where Whitehorse has a new affordable, accessible housing unit. Megan Gilmore has the details in her accessibility report. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index edged a little higher yesterday on a light trading day as investors awaited critical new U.S. inflation data tomorrow. Toronto's TSX index gained 49 points to 19,669. New York's Dow Jones average crept up 29 points and the Nasdaq slipped 13. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index dropped 249 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 77.71 cents U.S. The Ontario Cannabis Store says a cyber attack faced by one of its logistics partners has left the provincial pot distributor unable to deliver orders to marijuana shops and customers in the province. The OCS says the parent company of its third-party distribution centre, Domain Logistics, has shut down its operations until a full forensic investigation can be done. The only legal online retailer of recreational cannabis in Ontario says there is no indication that its systems were targeted or that its customers' information was compromised during the August 5th attack. From the Canadian Press Business Desk. I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We spend a lot of time talking about affordable housing and accessible housing on this show. 
Why? Because it's really, really important. Well, today let's highlight a group that's trying to address that issue. Accessibility reporter Megan Gilmore recently visited Whitehorse in the Yukon and she had a chance to learn about a new condominium corporation that is providing homes for people with disabilities. And Megan's here to talk about it. Hey, good morning, Megan. Good morning, Dave. How are you? I'm well. Always nice to catch up with you. Let's start here. What is Opportunities Yukon and what is this new building the organization has helped build? So Opportunities Yukon is a not-for-profit that provides services for individuals across the territory who have different disabilities. They were known as Challenge Yukon up until this past April. So they're also going through a larger kind of rebranding as well. And a few months ago, they moved to a new building in downtown Whitehorse that um, actually does many things. So they moved their offices for the first time in their history. But the building also provides a place for them to give both employment and housing for individuals that they serve in one place. So Opportunities Yukon has been involved in various employment and housing endeavors uh, throughout its history, but now they've taken some of those and put them all in one location. And who are the individuals who can live in this building? Sure. So the building is um, is a mixed-use uh, building that has both commercial and residential space. So in the residential space, there are 45 one-bedroom apartments uh, with single occupancy. And of those 45, nine of them are barrier-free. Also, the 45, 21 units come with 24-hour government uh, support for people with disabilities. Uh, So within that, obviously, that's for individuals with disabilities, but the Opportunities Yukon has different partnerships with various organizations throughout the territory. So in specific, they have a partnership with an organization called Blood Ties, which works specifically for individuals who have HIV or hepatitis C or... um, are involved with the drug or substance use. And then they have a partnership with an organization called FASI, which is the Fetal Alcohol Syndrome Support um, Organization for the Yukon, um, which is really, really important there. Um, And then as well, besides the 45 um, apartments, there's also eight penthouses at the top of the building, which are being sold at market value, which means that the building is also run as a condom corporation. Uh, sorry, yeah, condo corp. That's it, right? Um, which makes it unique in Canada. So there's an interview process that you have to go through if you want to join this building, so that people understand this isn't your quote-unquote typical apartment building. We're expecting everybody to work together to get to know each other, and you're likely going to have if you have a disability, you're likely going to have a neighbor who doesn't have a disability. If you don't have a disability, you likely have a neighbor who does. And we're expecting everybody to work together and build relationships. Megan, you mentioned that there are a lot of partnerships there. What are some mm-hmm. of the disability supports that people are going to have access to? Sure. So some individuals may have their own uh, support set up with different organizations, but uh, some of the other ones that are being provided by the Yukon government would be things like daily living support, um, support with conflict resolution, support with like finances, and even just having staff there available to talk to individuals. Um, some people who are have moved into these buildings have never lived on their own. They've never had an independent place to call their own. So they're adjusting to 
uh, life in a condo court, which is quite different than living in a shelter or in a hotel Mm -hmm. or in a tiny home. So uh, things like that. There's also a meeting space on the first floor, and they're hoping to eventually use that as a place to provide uh, spaces for things like Alcoholics Anonymous or different sexual health clinics, things like that, that will be open to members of the community as well. You were on the ground, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. in Whitehorse. You had a chance to tour a couple of the units. What were they like? So it's, uh, it's you think of your like typical single bedroom, open concept, uh, dining room, kitchen type thing. But I toured both an accessible unit and a general unit. Um, and each unit has like this... Uh, pretty much the same layout, same amenities. Uh, but when somebody moves in, they uh, pr- each tenant is provided with a, like, a new mattress and a welcome box with some starter cleaning supplies to help them get started. But they also put, staff put like a ribbon on the door. They kind of like wrap it up like a gift. And then there's a ribbon cutting ceremony for each tenant as they move in. Uh, so for the accessible units, particularly what makes them unique is they have ensuite laundry. Everybody else. Oh, heck yeah. Yes, I know, right? Everybody else has, like, there's a laundry room on each floor. But if you're in an accessible unit, your um, your laundry is ensuite. So that kind of changes a bit of the layout in, in those apartments in terms of where you put, like, storage space and stuff like that. But the countertops are all lower, which as a... Um, a, a, a vertically challenged person, as somebody who's shorter, I really appreciate that. Um, and the freezer is at the bottom of the fridge instead of um, at the top. The microwave spot is a little lower, things like that. And then obviously the, the washroom is fully accessible. And then each unit also has a balcony. Um, so an uh, interesting tidbit about Whitehorse is there's currently right now very strict limits on how high buildings can be. If it's only five or six stories, that's the highest you're going to get in the city and uh, so each unit has a balcony because of where it's located and we'll get to this later it's great views of the city uh and uh, the yukon yukoners are very proud of obviously of the natural environment of the territory so the building is the color scheme of it is meant to reflect the territory so each um each balcony is painted this bright pink color there's also like door storage room doors in the basement that are bright pink that's to invoke a uh, fireweed which is the territory's flower. You'll see fireweed everywhere um, in the summer. And then it's a basic like white walls to represent snow, black trim to represent mountains, that sort of thing. You mentioned the location. Why is that important? Okay, so to give a sense of how Whitehorse is laid off geographically, it's a very unique city. Um, It is a downtown core and then a bunch of neighborhoods outlying outlying it. And this building is located in the downtown at Main and 7th. So uh, Main Street and 7th Avenue right at the corner there. Uh, the way the city works is you have the Yukon River that runs through the middle. Um, and the downtown is right there, right along part of the river. And everything in downtown is a grid. So 7th Avenue is the last of the number streets in the downtown core. So this building is right at the end of downtown. When I was getting the directions of where to find it, um, I used to live in Whitehurst a number of years ago. And I heard, I heard it was at 7th. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I never go to 7th Avenue. Like, what are you, like where is this place? Like, this is like at the end of the world. Um, so it's right at the end of, right at the back corner of downtown. And that's important because there's not as many residential units there. So the neighbors of this building would be a park. There, there's a park there with like a dog park and like a, 
um, like a campfire type area and there's like a church nearby, but there's not as many um, like apartment buildings or residential buildings so that so there's less neighbors and that's actually really helpful, especially if you're people who are experiencing anxiety moving over here um, or just wanting to get away from some of their previous neighbors. Um, that's really important. But because it's also at the end of Main Street, which as the name implies is one of the main streets, um, it's close enough to main amenities. So shopping, um, restaurants, closer to the waterfront, closer to bus stops. And downtown is a very walkable area of Whitehorse. Literally everything you need is probably within a five, 10 minute walk of each other. Um, so if you don't have access to a vehicle, you're you're set up very well for that. But I was talking to Jillian Hardy, who's the executive director of Opportunities Yukon, and she'd say, you know, she's seeing a lot of people, they go for walks together. They're like, hey, you know, I'm heading down Main Street. Do you want to come with me? Um, so they're also building that community while also having some privacy there. Let's talk about a couple of the tenants. Who is yep. Brady? So Brady uh, is 31 and he moved in at the very beginning. He's one of the original tenants and he uh, moved in partly because he was living in a trailer. Um, He's very precariously housed uh, before this. Um, there'd been a relationship change and he'd, he'd lost his home. Uh, Brady has FASE and he's been involved with Opportunities Yukon for six years. And one of the ways that he's really been involved with the organization is uh, Opportunities Yukon runs a social enterprise uh, catering ca- company and cafe called Bridges Cafe, which is moving into this uh, cornerstone community building where the housing is. So Brady, like a lot of people, is most looking forward to having his work be right below him. Because uh, it will be on the first floor of the building. He just lives a couple floors up. But uh, for him, this has provided a stable housing and gotten him um, off of a precarious housing situation. And Jason Gallant moved in shortly after Brady. What's his story? Right. So Jason um, is one of the individuals who was supported or is supported by Blood Ties Yukon. So an organization that works with individuals um, who are involved with the uh, uh, substance use or, or HIV, Hep C positive. Um, and he was living in one of their like tiny homes. Blood Ties Yukon has a lot of little tiny homes throughout the city that are transitional housing. And then he found out that he had been offered this place at Cornerstone, which would be permanent housing. So he, um, Jason did a really great job of explaining some of the conflicting emotions that come with that move. Because while he's very grateful to be at his own apartment to have a stable place off the streets away from uh, friends who may be encouraging him to go back to certain um, substance abuses. Uh, There's some anxiety around this, right? Because now instead of having all your furniture provided for you in a little tiny home, you have to provide it for yourself in a larger apartment. And then there's also this guilt that comes with having your own stable place and knowing so many people who don't. But what he's found helpful is the support of the staff who've just allowed him to talk and have also been there for him um, after he, um, so uh, Jason um, sustained a bit of an injury a few weeks ago after uh, after some drinking and staff encouraged him to go to the hospital and get help. And he did that. And that's been a big emphasis of this community. When you talk to Jillian Hardy, who's the executive director, she'll talk about how we're teaching people how to respond when something happens. And we're not going to, like, if you get angry or something happens and you punch a hole in your wall, for example, Jason didn't do this, but somebody might, um, 
we're not going to kick you out right away. We're going to teach you like, how do you respond to this? You know, she talked about like, if, if you're, if you want to do rehab, if you want to do treatment, we're going to support you. If you're not ready to start treatment or rehab, we're going to make sure that you're safe. Um, but there's this attitude of we're going to work with you when problems arise and not just throw you back out because something got difficult. Megan, what are the plans for the future of this accessible there, units, this accessible and affordable housing units? Yeah, so there is a waiting list of 150 people for these units. They've had to stop the waiting list because it was too much for a small not-for-profit to handle. So there's obviously a desire to have more housing like this. Opportunities Yukon does run more residential facilities for various groups, but there's more, there's an appetite for more uh, units like this. They may be increasing the number of units specifically for people with disabilities who need 24-hour support. And they're hoping to expand across the territory, uh, probably or possibly starting in the next two largest cities in the Yukon, which are, which are Watson Lake and Dawson City. And then they want more community involvement. That they Their hope is that you know, this building is called Cornerstone for a reason, that it becomes a place where Whitehorse as a city can come together and build relationships. So there's the community barbecues planned, different events to get people who live in the building interacting with those who don't and vice versa. Yeah, hopefully it becomes a test case. There's really something, yeah. uh, there's really something yeah. uh at play here. There, there seems to be some really good ideas at its foundation. So hopefully uh, lots of success in expanding the project around the province, uh, around the territory. Uh, Megan, we got to get out of here, but thank you for this. Welcome back. Thank you. That's Megan Gilmore, accessibility reporter. Let's go over to Corinne Van Dusen for the big business story of the day. Corinne, Canadians could be getting a good news email from the Canada Revenue Agency. Yes, they say they will be emailing e-notifications about uncashed checks to 25,000 Canadians this month. The federal agency says it has approximately $1.4 billion worth of uncashed checks in its coffer that have accumulated over the years, some dating back to 1998. Another 25 Canadians will receive e-notifications in November, followed by 25,000 more in May of 2023. So you can also check if you have uncashed payments by logging in or signing up for an online CRA account. I know uh, this story has come out before, um, not that they're emailing people, but how you can check. And it's it's pretty easy. It's pretty like it's uh, it's kind of on your homepage when you sign it. I would suggest doing it on a web browser first thing, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you click and it says. Yes, you have uncashed checks or no, you don't get any more money because you've already gotten everything or paid everything. You've already cashed all your checks or you've sent in your payments. But that Mm. would still be pretty sweet. That'd be pretty sweet to get an email being like, hey, you forgot to you forgot to deposit your 2018 tax refund. Yeah. Come get your 800 bucks. Your stomach doesn't drop when you see the CRA Canada email. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that one. That's right. Usually when you get the CRA email, you're like, oh, dear, oh, no. What, what do they need? What document do I need to send? Is the audit yeah. coming? Oh, goodness gracious, where are my files? But in this they case... They never just email to say hi. You know? they, rarely to have ever to the email just to say hi. Hey, Corinne, thank you for this. We appreciate it. Thank you. That is Corinne Van Dusen with the big business story of the day. Coming up next, Louise Levesque Burley drops by to look ahead to Acadian Day in her community report. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome. 
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's catch up with community reporter Louise Levesque-Burley in Moncton, New Brunswick. Hey, good morning, Louise. Hi, Dave. Did you have vacations yet? I uh, took a little vacation uh, two weeks ago. I was actually not too far from you. I was in Halifax for a couple of days, and then I put my feet down in Ottawa. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, there was some nice uh, friendly maritime spirits being shared in Halifax. (laughs) Really enjoyed myself on that trip. What about you, Louise? Any vacation time for you? Uh, Coming up. Oh, yeah? Coming up? 22nd, going to Prince Edward Island for a week. Nice. All right. (laughs) Louise always knows how to live. Speaking of knowing (laughs) how to live, Louise, you recently did some shopping that was a bit different. What made the experience at TM Liquidation so unique? Well, first of all, I I had never been to that type of store slash um, uh, liquidation uh, warehouse and the the layout is huge, so um, I do recommend that if you're a blind like myself and Mr. Fig, you need a sighted person. And there's, oh, there's a lot, a lot of shelves filled with different things, uh, things hanging up. There's a deep freeze full of food. Um, so what it is, is everything is discounted Um lower prices than the regular store and the reason is is because let's say a box of cereal a huge box of cereal um, maybe the box is uh, dented and so the regular stores cannot sell it but the product inside is fine and the same with anything could be sauces it could be uh, clothing they they just added 30,000 pieces of clothing from baby up to adults Um, so it was like we spent two hours a friend of mine came with me but the owners are young couple uh, in mid-30s that started it in February and they're very helpful like he and if you go in person Dave you get more discounts because for them the more that goes out the more that comes in and they have a model um, you, when you see it, you buy it because it may not be there tomorrow or later on in the day and, uh, they may not be able to get it back. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a big warehouse and, and, uh, it was fun actually, because, uh, I bought <laughs> five gallons of Windex for like eight dollars i'm gonna have it for like eons you're gonna have the cleanest windows in moncton (laughs) yeah exactly so you know you you find bargains like that so but you may not find you know if you go with a list it's not like a store uh you have you know you're gonna find it in the store there you never know what you're gonna find and um the owner uh, came with me and, you know, I said, okay, what kind of sauces do you have? And he named a whole bunch, but there was none that I was looking for. Um, but very, very helpful. And you can also, if you want to, um, go on Facebook, um, and you can choose items and pay by e-transfer or credit card and they'll deliver if you buy over $50 to your home and it costs about five or $10, depending where you live in the Moncton area. So 
they're really trying to hit every market, which I think is really, really nice. So again, the name of the place is TM Liquidations. If folks want to learn more, they can send emails, liquidationstm at gmail.com. You can go visit them in person, 346 Scotch Settlements Road in Irishtown, New Brunswick. And again, like Louise said, uh, you can find them on Facebook as well. Or you go visit them in person and maybe uh, drop them a line. It sounds like quite the interesting uh, hunting experience. And next thing you know, you have eight <laughs> gallons of Lysol and your house is very, very clean. Uh, uh, Louise, let's look ahead to next week because next Monday, August 15th, is a big day in the Maritimes. It's Acadian Day. How important is Acadian culture in understanding the history of the Maritimes? Well, Acadian Day... Um is very special. It's a fun day. Uh, now, if you live in uh, Tracadie, Shippigan, Karakut, um, northern part of New Brunswick, they celebrate more than a day. But here in the mountain area, in Shidiac especially, they're uh, celebrating um, for the day per se. And I mean, it's been around for 400 years, Acadian uh, Day, and it, it's it's fun. I, I had the opportunity to participate in uh, Tantramar Day, they call it, in uh, Karakut many years ago. And people wear bright colors like red, white, and blue. Those are the um, Acadian um, colors. And you know, the tantramar part is you have a metal pot with a metal spoon and you just bang it to your heart's content to the music or, or and people carry it around all day in the, in the northern part of New Brunswick. Where in Shidiac, what they're going to do is they're going to have a barbecue starting at five and then a parade at six o'clock and then seven o'clock and eight o'clock o'clock and nine o'clock different uh Acadian singers um so it's a, it's a great evening to go and it's at the uh, Pascal Poirier Park in Shidiac and um I think the lady's name is Mireille and she, you can call to see about accessibility and parking or whatnot but it's a great great time to have like you won't forget it if you attend an event of uh, the Acadian Day Tantramar. Yeah, so Michel Leblanc is the organizer of uh, the Ville de Chediac. 506-532-7000 to uh, get a hold of them. 506-532-7000. And of course, uh, the email address as well will go up on our website after the show, our blog after the show, ami.ca slash nowblog, ami.ca slash nowblog. And for those of you who are uh, celebrating over the weekend and on the 15th, have yourself a wonderful, wonderful time. <laughs> All right, Louise, let's get to one more topic here. The eastern provinces just got hit with quite the heat wave. In fact, large swaths of the country are just coming out of a heat wave with another one Oof. coming. You yes. wanted to offer up an idea for a refreshing summer drink that you want to shout out. So what is this cocktail? Well, this this is something that I saw a couple years ago on the internet and I decided like it was so, so hot. 
what would be refreshing. So I made up uh, this drink, a tall glass of ice water. You put some ice cube to taste. You can add your soda, favorite soda, a little bit, not much, just to give it a sizzle. And you cut up uh, four slices of cucumber, English cucumber I use. You can use any kind. And slice them in half, dropping them in the glass. And personally, I use... Um, lemon, a slice of lemon, and cut it in half, drop it in the glass. And you can also use oranges, or if you don't want to peel an orange, you can open a can of mandarin and just stick the mandarin oranges. It gives it a little sweet, sour taste. And you put it in the fridge for a half hour, and then you're ready to sip on it. And I keep putting more cold water during the day. And at the end of the day, I dump it in a bowl and eat the cucumbers with a fork. <laughs> and it's just a very refreshing drink. Cucumbers are really healthy for you. Uh, you know, they're great for weight loss. They're great for your skin and uh, lots of nutrition in a cucumber. Now peel it. Uh, I don't put the greens in it. I just peel it and that way you can eat it at the end. It still won't harm you if you put the greens in there, but definitely no, if you put, the, if you put no. the greens in there, it's definitely worth making sure you wash it properly before you drop exactly. it in. But I, yeah. I also love me some cucumber water. Very, very good for the soul. Very good for the skin. Very good for the skin yes. to be drinking yeah. lots of cucumber water. Hey, Louise, we got to get out of here, but thank you for this. Yes, you're welcome, Dave, and we'll talk in September. Yeah, we'll talk in a couple of weeks. Enjoy your vacation. That's you Louise too. That's Louise Levesque-Burley, community reporter for us in Moncton, New Brunswick. And if you want the specific recipe that Louise laid out for that refreshing drink, ami.ca slash nowblog, ami.ca slash nowblog. Let's wrap up the hour with a couple of news stories. You heard that Karen Rebo mentioned this in her business minute. The Ontario Cannabis Store says a cyber attack faced by one of its partners has left the provincial pot distributor unable to deliver orders to shops and consumers. Emily Javesky has more. The Ontario Cannabis Store says the parent company of its third-party distribution centre, Domain Logistics, has shut down its operations until a full forensic investigation can be completed. That's expected to be completed within the coming days. The OCS says there's no indication that its systems were targeted or its customers' information was compromised during the August 5th attack. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press, Toronto. Let's go south of the border in California where salt water is creeping its way into key waterways. Lisa Dwyer explains. The Sacramento and San Joaquin rivers are central arms of California's water system, but they are becoming too salty for use for farmers and cities as the state's punishing drought drags on. Farmer Bobby Costas's cucumber crop is being affected by saltwater intrusion. Well, the, the water's been getting progressively worse and worse with salt. I mean, um, every year it's becoming more of a challenge. Uh, this year in particular with our cucumbers, we're having 14%, 16% crooked cucumbers, and a lot of that's attributable to salt. In dry times, less fresh water flows from the mountains through California's rivers and into an estuary known as the Delta. Planners are trying a desalination plant, an artificial rock barrier, and groundwater pumps to try to solve the problem. I'm Lisa Dwyer. And while we're talking about climate change, a new study connects climate hazards to 58% of infectious diseases. Mike Grazia takes a closer look. 
A new study says more than half of the known infectious diseases in people, including malaria, cholera, and anthrax, have worsened due to climate hazards such as flooding, heat waves, and drought. In Monday's journal Nature Climate Change, researchers said they found 218 of the known 375 human infectious diseases seemed to be made worse by one of 10 types of extreme weather connected to climate change. Additionally, the study found 223 of 286 unique non-infectious sicknesses, such as asthma and allergies, seemed to be worsened by climate hazards. I'm Mike Gracia. I want to remind you, no matter what you hear or see on this show, you're always welcome to give your feedback. We welcome it. We are better when you reach out to us. So feel free to send us emails, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. You can also find us on social media at AMI Audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. We also love it when you send us voicemails when you give us phone calls 1-866-509-4545 that's 1-866-509-4545 coming up after the break Corinne Van Dusen has the regional news update Jeff Ryman will be here with a sports chat we'll look ahead to the world junior championship and we will talk about some of the issues and dark clouds that are surrounding hockey Canada and that tournament as a whole this is now with Dave Brown on AMI Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio, AMI-tv, AMI.ca, and the mighty AMI-audio podcast network. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, August the 9th, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Microsoft's Edge web browser has a new accessibility feature. Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech will tell you all about it. And then we'll wrap up the show when Corinne Van Dusen puts myself, Karen McGee, and Mark Phoenix to the test with the weekly news quiz. Speaking of Corinne, she's here right now with the regional news update. Thanks, Dave. Starting in British Columbia, where the member of the B.C. legislature for Vernon Monashi is set to face a recall petition launching Thursday. As a local resident says, the MLA is part of a government that's failed in its handling of COVID-19 in health care. Genevieve Ring says she's not prepared to wait for the next election scheduled for fall 2024 to make changes to improve health care in the province. In order for the recall petition to be successful, Elections BC says canvassers must collect signatures from 40% of eligible voters by October. A statement from MLA Harwinder Sandhu, who works as a nurse, who worked as a nurse before being elected in 2020, says she stands by the government's decisions on health care and she will not be intimidated by those she calls a small group of extreme activists who don't represent the vast majority of people in the riding. Heat warnings from Environment Canada remain in place for inland sections of BC's north and central coasts, including Kitimat, Terrace and Bellacoola. The weather agency says daytime highs above 28 degrees are expected to last until Thursday, when temperatures should fall back to seasonal norms. A heat warning is also in effect for the Fraser Canyon, including Lytton, where daytime highs are expected to near 35 degrees between now and Friday. A smoky skies bulletin over the Okanagan Valley has prescribed as a prescribed burn adds to smoke coming from the wildfire southwest of Penticton. In the prairies, the Alberta NDP is calling on the province's Auditor General to investigate bonuses paid to the Chief Medical Officer of Health and other managers for work related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Dina Hinshaw received a record-setting bonus payment of almost $228,000 last year 
in addition to her regular salary of more than $591,000. In a letter to Auditor General Doug Wiley on Monday, finance critic Shannon Phillips requested a performance audit of the bonus payment structure and processes related to the COVID-19 pandemic response. Phillips also requested a performance audit of former Minister of Finance Travis Taves, who denied he authorized payments in a tweet last Wednesday. A spokesperson for Alberta's Ministry of Health has said the payouts were determined using a formula for managers based on additional hours worked. And three direct international flights are returning to Regina's airport this winter. WestJet adding nonstop service from Regina to Las Vegas, Orlando, and Cancun. Oh, yeah. Routes have been... (laughs) It's always a good time when you hear that for the winter. The routes (laughs) have been suspended for more than two years due to the pandemic. The Las Vegas and Cancun routes will begin mid-November with flights offered twice per week. Orlando route is scheduled to start in December and will be offered once per week. In Ontario, Health Minister Sylvia Jones is looking to reassure Ontarians about the state of the healthcare system in the wake of reoccurring temporary emergency room closures across the province. She says six emergency departments had to close over the weekend, but she says the situation is not unprecedented. Jones says some of those temporary closures are partly due to what she calls the ebbs and flows of healthcare workers taking vacation. Nurses' unions have argued current staffing shortages are years in the making, with Ontario reporting the fewest nurses per capita in Canada before the pandemic. And the Ontario government will unveil its throne speech today, outlining its legislative agenda for the upcoming session. The speech will be followed by the Progressive Conservative government's budget, This is expected to be largely unchanged from when it was introduced, but not passed, before the spring election. The only new item Premier Doug Ford has signaled will be on the budget is a 5% increase to Ontario disability support program rates. The Liberals, Greens and opposition NDP have all called on the government to increase those payments, which have been frozen since 2018. And in Atlantic Canada, helicopters are beginning to bring essential supplies to southern Newfoundland towns, cut off from the rest of the island by two out-of-control forest fires. The Provincial Department of Transportation said late last night that goods had been transported that day to the coast of Bays area, which includes a large aquaculture farm in the town of St. Albans. A news release said two helicopters had also begun bringing goods to the towns of Har- town of Harbour Breton. The province's worst fires in more than 60 years have forced officials to intermittently shut down the only road connecting the towns of Newfoundland's Carnegie Peninsula with the rest of the island. And the city of Halifax has cancelled 75 bus routes due to a lack of transit staff, and the union representing drivers says staffing levels are likely to get worse before they get better. City Transit Union President Shane O'Leary says the cancellation of 75 out of about 3,970 weekday bus trips in Halifax is unprecedented. O'Leary says that increasingly bus drivers, accessible van drivers and ferry operators in the city are leaving the profession because the pay has not kept up with the rising cost of living and the work hours are grueling. A city spokesperson says Halifax is actively recruiting new transit operators in hopes of alleviating the worker shortage. And those are your regional news headlines. You know, Corinne, there really is something to this idea that Regina is rolling out in terms of saying, hey, let's get more direct flights down to Vegas, Orlando and Cancun. I actually wonder if that's something that Canadian airports and Canadian airlines should be thinking about more generally, which is saying there are too many flights leaving Montreal 
Toronto and Vancouver. Let's start utilizing these other airports and sending more direct routes to places in the States. Because the fact is, if people are already having to take a flight into Pearson or into Montreal or into Vancouver to connect that direct flight, then it stands to reason you could actually send that direct flight from other places. I I, I think there might be something to that if we're talking about trying to more efficiently streamline transportation. Absolutely, because it's hearing this, it's not like the flights can't go from the not as large as Pearson, Montreal, Vancouver airports. And yeah, cutting down on flights into those big areas before you go somewhere else is definitely something that airports uh, should be looking at if they aren't already. But I'm not a air transit control nope, operator. Nope, but, nope. You know. <laughs> neither of us, neither <laughs> of us have that uh, have that necessarily on our CV. But I think I think definitely there, there's something to that, right? Do, do we need six flights a day out of Toronto to Las Vegas, or perhaps can we start sending a couple from other smaller airports for the sake of simplicity, right? Utilize Ottawa, util, utilize Regina, utilize Winnipeg, utilize Calgary, which already, by the way, has a lot of international flights. But you get what I'm saying. Utilize mm-hmm. utilize these places and see if you can't uh, change some of the the burden that exists at a few of these major choke points. But this this is just me thinking out loud. We're just brainstorming here. (laughs) Corinne, thank you for this. And we'll talk to you later for the news quiz. Sounds good. That's Corinne Van Dusen filling in for Mike Ross. Let's bring in Jeff Ryman for a sports chat. Okay, Jeff, the World Junior Hockey Tournament officially gets underway today, but before we can actually talk about what's happening on the ice, it would be irresponsible of us if we didn't talk about some of the dark clouds that are surrounding this tournament with the multitude of scandals facing Hockey Canada of sexual assault and other forms of abuse. Jeff, how do you think that is playing out and what's your reaction to the conversation we've had in the last couple of weeks regarding these scandals? Yeah, you know, not very good for Hockey Canada. I, I I see maybe a little bit of progress with, you know, one or two members of Hockey Canada that are high up, that are stepping down. But I also remember talking with Brock Richardson on the neutral zone, I, I think about two or three weeks ago. And I said, in order for this to actually be able to move forward, I think that there has to be a whole rehaul, like everybody, like I want to see everybody gone and build that from the ground up because I I truthfully think that's the only way. I mean, we've only seen two major, uh, I mean, well, there's only, there's definitely more, but in the last couple of weeks, we've seen issues with that 2018 uh, men's world junior team and the 2003 one also came to light. And I can guarantee, Dave, that there is definitely more that is behind the scenes that we just don't know about. And mm-hmm. I, I truthfully think that, and we've talked before, how toxic hockey culture really is. Um, you know, I think that there has to be a, a major rehaul here in order for um hockey canada to move forward and for the fans and for the players who are all under the umbrella of hockey canada to move forward because right now there is a sour sour taste in i'd say the majority of people's mouths and that is starting to have a a huge effect um on on the outcomes of of watching games of participating under the hockey canada umbrella mm-hmm. and from 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 there up so it's uh not looking very good and it, i just don't like the stubbornness from hockey canada and, and everybody that's associated with all these 
um, you know, a couple of lawsuits and everything else that's going on. They're the first appearance they made before parliaments, before the most recent appearance, I think was already what indicated there needed to be some cleaning of house when they did a Mm -hmm. very haphazard investigation into the 2018 case and just settled it right away. And then as they were being asked questions, well, who did you talk to? Was it mandatory? Oh, no, it wasn't mandatory. What did you learn? Well, we didn't really learn anything. It was it was so damning to say that these folks in charge just didn't care. They just wanted to write it off and do the settlement. And that speaks to a problem in leadership. And that's where the desire to clean house comes from. There's also the concern that as sponsors are pulling away here, it's not so much affecting men's programming, but there are a lot of concerns about the way this is going to be impacting a para sports, para hockey, para ice hockey, and the way it's going to be impacting the women's game as well. Those concerns have been brought to bear when major sponsors are walking away. Now, although the sponsors have said, oh, no, 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 we're just pulling our dollars away from the men's program. There's no way of actually knowing where those dollars are going to trickle to. So there are bigger, deeper impacts inside the organization that trickle down well beyond just the men's or junior programming here that need to be considered. And that's also what is going to constitute the need for some change. Jeff, has this dampened your enthusiasm at all for this tournament? I would say the fact simply that it's in the summer sort of changes yeah. changes the scope a little bit. Uh, Sportsnet was out with a report yesterday. There are thousands and thousands of tickets that haven't been sold for these games. But what's your general level of enthusiasm going into this tournament? Yeah, I mean, there is that huge cloud that's sort of hovering over, which we've been alluding to. Um, I, I think that has a huge play in this. You also mentioned that it is August, the middle of the summer, and it sort of snuck up on us. Like, I, I feel like we knew about this, but we almost totally forgot about it until like yesterday, today. Um, so there's that. And I, I also feel like it has a different a different vibe. I mean, you look at the teams and there are multiple, multiple players that are not going to be on the Team Canada roster that were there in the winter be- mm-hmm. before things mm-hmm. were canceled. I'm looking at Owen Power, who was one of the best players in the tournament. Canada's anchor on defense, Caden Gooley as well, is not going to be playing. Uh, Shane Wright who was the fourth overall pick to Seattle. He had a lot of hype. He's not going to be playing. Yeah, Uh, The list goes on and on. And I'm not saying that the players that are on the team are bad because they are superb. And this is fantastic to see, uh, you know, to, to actually watch some hockey in the summer as well. But I feel like there's multiple things that are sort of playing a factor in in all of this as well. So I would say, you know, on a scale of one to 10, I'd say my interest level as of right now. And I I think it'll go up once I actually start watching the games. But I'd say like a six or a seven. I, I just I, I want to be excited, but I for some reason, I just can't get there, Dave. For justifiable reasons, there's no Russian team as part of this tournament either, which certainly yeah. impacts the caliber because you're dropping one of what usually ends up being one of the top four or five tournament uh, teams yeah. in the tournament every year. So that certainly impacts the landscape. As you mentioned, Jeff, there's a lot of prospects who got drafted this past year who will not be taking place, who will not be taking part because they're doing their summer development camps with their NHL team. So yeah, definitely the, the caliber is just a notch down than we'd typically expect. And yeah, I don't know, like the middle of August, you're not going to get me super geeked up about something that typically takes place around Christmas, you know, with a nice coffee in my pajamas in the afternoon. Uh, Jeff, here's my, my, my other question for you, because I think this happens to me, generally speaking, with the World Juniors, but I would argue with sports in general. I would say this also applies to the tennis tournaments going on in Montreal and Toronto this week. Talk to me in the quarterfinals. 
Talk to me in the semifinals. You're not going to get me super interested in the round of 32 or or the preliminary round of these kinds of tournaments just because I don't really need to see Canada beat up on Czechia. I don't find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah and so the tournament starts today. Canada starts tomorrow. Latvia is the first opponent for Canada. Latvia is replacing Russia. And you're right. Uh I'm not. I'm not going to say it's an easy win. Uh, you, you never tr- truthfully know, but as history shows, uh, you know Canada typically does beat up on those non-powerhouse or non-traditional powerhouse teams. Um, I, you know what? I don't mind it. I, I don't mind that. Sort of is like the appetizer for the main course, Dave. Just sort of getting to know which player, like the lines, the players. I'm just a hockey geek like that. I want to see these prospects. I want to see these guys play. Um, so I, I am excited for that. But I totally understand where you're coming from, where it's just like, hey, meet me in the semis, because that's typically where most of these teams go. It's usually <laughs> the U.S., it's usually Canada, Sweden, Finland, and I guess, you know, on on, on, a, on a typical year, it, it would be Russia in there as well. So... Yeah, teams like Latvia, Czechia, Slovakia. Germany's getting better. My Germans are getting better. But, um, you know, I I wouldn't say they're a bona fide powerhouse right now. So I understand where you're coming from. Jeff, I apologize if I'm putting you on the spot here because, frankly, I could have done the research as well. Do we know if this trifecta of Slovak players who went in the first round of the NHL draft are going to be there this year? Uh, Nemec, Slavkovsky, and I'm blanking on the other player drafted by the Montreal Canadiens. Do we know if they're going to be part of the Slovakian squad? I, I believe a couple of them are. I'm not sure if Slavkowski is going to be part of that. Um, you know, the first overall pick to Montreal. I don't see why not. And that's where I sort of have a, a bit of a problem is that I think that a lot of people like myself who are, you know, prospect geeks, I want to see these guys there. And I think it's a great tournament for these guys to develop, gain their confidence from the NHL perspective, of course, it's a tournament. There is risk there. If they get injured, that could be a nightmare for a bunch of uh, uh, teams. So, But typically, I feel like a lot of NHL teams will send their prospects overseas, or in this case, it's going to be held in Alberta. I want to see them play. I, I think it's a great yeah. development opportunity, and especially in the middle of the summer. I mean, these guys are probably just starting to ramp up. They may be training on the ice by themselves, but they're not getting that in-game competition. And I think this is a great opportunity for development. And I, I, I wish that you know some of those bigger name players would be in this tournament this year, which some of them aren't. Well, good luck to your Germans and best of luck to the Slovakian team <laughs> that I'm uh, all in and invested in right now. Jeff, thank you for this, buddy. Have a great day. We'll talk tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Dave. That is Jeff Ryman. He is at the AMI Sports Desk. The World Junior Championship gets underway today on TSN. First game, 2 p.m. Eastern time is the first puck drop of the tournament. I believe it's Czechia and Slovakia. So a little bit of the old uh, Czechoslovakia rivalry playing out at 2 p.m. Eastern time. So while I'm cleaning the house, maybe that one will be on in the background. Let's go over to Grace Scofield for the National Weather Update. Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it's cloudy with periods of rain beginning early this morning and a high of 16 degrees. In Charlottetown, it's raining today with a high of 20 degrees. In St. John, there's some periods of rain ending near noon, and then it'll be cloudy for the rest of the afternoon with a high of 20 degrees. 
Over in Quebec City, it's mainly cloudy today, with a 40% chance of showers this morning and a high of 18 degrees. In Toronto, a mix of sun and cloud today, with a high of 24 degrees. In Sault Ste. Marie, it's mainly sunny, with a high of 26 degrees. Over in Brandon, Manitoba, it's mainly sunny today, with a high of 24 degrees. In Regina, it's mainly sunny, with a high of 25 degrees. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's sunny today, and there's a heat warning in effect, with a high of 31 degrees. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's clearing up this morning, and a high of 26 degrees. Up in Whitehorse, it's mainly sunny today, and the high is 21 degrees. In Kelowna, BC, it's sunny this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud, with a 30% chance of showers late this afternoon, and a high of 33 degrees. And in Vancouver, BC, some increasing cloudiness this morning, with a high of 24 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. Coming up next, the Microsoft's Edge web browser has a new accessibility feature. Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech will tell you all about it. But first, Samsung is showing off some new gadgets and gizmos. Daria Albinger previews Samsung's Unpacked in Tech Trends. Digital Trends' Joe Mooring says Samsung is expected to show off the Galaxy Fold 4 on Wednesday. The big change there is that the crease in the middle of that folding screen is supposedly going to get a bit less noticeable. Um, that's due to Samsung reportedly using a new hinge design. The smaller, cheaper Galaxy Flip is set to get an update as well. Big change there is that the cover screen, so when it's closed and folded up, the little kind of preview screen on the front of it, that should get a very slight size increase. If those sound like small updates, Smaring says that it may be intentional on Samsung's part. It kind of signals that we're moving away from these, these folding devices being kind of niche devices that, you know, we talk about, but no one really buys, and they're really coming into their own and maturing to where Samsung doesn't need to make uh, huge monumental uh, shifts year over year. With Tech Trends, I'm Daria Albinger, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown. Let's say hello to Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech. He's the founder of Cool Blind Tech, and he's going to tell you what's going on in the world of accessible technology. And Nelson is in Edmonton, Alberta. Hey, good morning, Nelson. Hey, good morning, Dave. So, Nelson, let's start with Microsoft Edge. That web browser has a new accessibility feature. So what's new with Narrator? Yeah, I, I don't uh, bring up too much uh, Microsoft stuff, so I thought I'd uh, search it out. Uh, so, uh uh, lately, they've been doing some uh, updates, as always. Uh, in this case, uh, they've uh, done a couple updates for uh, Narrator. Uh, in uh, the de development uh, version of it, there's three versions. Um, this kind of like the middle of the road version. There's a Canary version, which is uh, for hardcore insider users. And then there's the, the, the developer. And then there's the, the beta, which is um, almost like a public beta. Uh, so in this case, uh, what Narrator has done is uh, allowed... Uh, uh, sort of like in-link uh, infos uh, for the banner to be announced. Uh, something basic. Uh, and then and the other feature is something that's connected to Google uh, Chromium, uh, which allows you to uh, control something called, uh, um, oh, let's see what it says here. It's a bit of an odd uh, thing here. Uh, so it's un unthrottled nested uh, timeout. 
So okay. <laughs> to enable that feature, don't ask me what that does, but uh, uh, apparently allows you uh, to turn it on, on and off that feature while using Google Chromium. Um, so those, those are the two uh, uh, latest updates uh, that they have for uh, Narrator. Nelson, one more time, just sort of explain to me a little more about this update to Narrator. Like, what does that mean exactly for a user? Um, well, in this, in the end user, it, it doesn't, um, it's not a whole lot, uh, but um, this is sort of like a preview version. So uh, like I mentioned, the developer's uh, version uh, allows the uh, insider users, uh, the people that sign up to their beta program to sort of play around with uh, new features that uh, that Microsoft uh, may or may not actually release to the public use, but um, these seem like uh, usable features. Uh, they do mention that the Google Chromium feature, the uh, um, it will be uh, deprecated at some point. So it's a bit odd that they would enable it and then eventually turn it off. So that's, that's the one thing about Microsoft that uh, you, you kind of have to scratch your head about. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're always playing around with the uh, yeah. new updates. Uh, Here's a feature. I hope you didn't like it too much because we're going to take it away. Uh, Nelson, of course, I use the Mac. (laughs) Of course, of course, Edge is the browser. It's the Phoenix that grew from the ashes of Microsoft Internet Explorer. Do we have a sense of how popular Edge is as a web browser? Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised at how little uh, market share they have, uh, considering how huge uh, Internet Explorer used to be before it, um, uh, you know, got uh, dust banned a few years back. it only has about like 10, 10 well, like, uh, according to like the stats uh, counter, it's only 10.64%, uh, which isn't a whole lot considering that uh, there's a lot of people out there using uh, Windows computers. Yeah, using the Windows uh, machine. Yeah, for sure. That that would be the built-in default browser. They're switching the default. Yeah, yeah and then, of course, number one, uh, you know, no surprise, it's uh, Google Chrome, uh, which has a huge uh, market share. Uh, last time I checked, it was like 60 plus percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then other users like Firefox and then Opera and then so on and so on. But, uh, yeah, uh, Google Chrome is, seems to be the uh, the powerhouse. Of course, uh, you know, it's got the number one search engine in the world, so obviously it's going to have uh, the number one browser. Yeah, uh, the, but, the, you know, the search engine Microsoft will come the, around. The, I, see, I like using Edge. Edge is my browser of choice. Really? My, okay. Oh, yeah, I like using Edge a lot. But, I, but I've always been a user of, uh, of, of Internet Explorer, so a lot of it just became yeah. very familiar to me in the way that I was using okay. it. But I will yeah. say the thing that Chrome clearly offers that nobody else does is all of those great extensions, right? The ability to utilize Chromecast so, so, so seamlessly, the ability to have the search engine built right into your, right into your tab bar makes a lot yeah. of sense. There's just a lot of stuff that Chrome... Chrome does from a usability point of view that the other browsers just have not mastered yet. Yeah, and that's that's why they're probably number one. That's why they're uh, number one. Like that. Yeah, that's yeah. why they're number one. Uh, Nelson, let's go across the Atlantic where the Southwestern Railway Company in England has begun some trials for a new site loss assistant app. So how does this app offer a more accessible experience to users? Yeah, this is apparently uh, the first of its kind for a railway company to do this, um, and, which they're, they're probably correct because I don't recall a railway company actually developing their own app. Uh, so, yes, so it's called My Eyes. Uh, it's a separate app from uh, what people would normally uh, learn from, like, the other apps. It's M-Y-E-Y-E-S. Um, it uh, basically allows uh, the end user to, after they uh, set up their uh um, their their user uh, allows them to use the Bluetooth beacons and something called the GPS location tags, uh, which allows you to navigate. Uh, in this case, just two stations because uh, it is um, 
just recently launched, uh, launched a pilot program. Uh, so allows them to navigate uh, throughout the station, uh, allows them to, uh, you know, uh, access the, uh, where the stairs are, uh, where the elevators are, and of course, uh, where the tickets are to purchase your tickets to go on the uh, uh, railway system. But uh, like I said, it's uh, they, they've only launched it in the, in two stations, so I'm not sure how many stations they are, but I'm sure they have a lot more than two. <laughs> so uh, hopefully it's uh, something that uh, the end user could have a lot of use for. Um, I, I've used similar uh, technology, uh, so it, it is good uh, to use, but you know it's one of those things where you have to have the particular app to, uh, to actually um, navigate uh, those particular stations. This is a trial with these two stations. Is there a sense of how long this trial is going to be going on for? Uh, they just launched at the beginning of August. Uh, it's expected to go on for three months, and depending on the success of it, and uh, obviously the cost is going to be a factor in this. Um, uh, you know, if it's something that's successful, they're going to expand it out to uh, more stations, which is cool because uh, um, you know not not a lot of people I know that use railway stations, but uh, uh, maybe it's time to get back into it. Uh, I, I know I've never been on a, one in. Oh, my goodness, since I was a child. So, oh, dude, you uh, live in Edmonton. You should be taking the train to Jasper all the time. <laughs> I probably should. Yeah, I heard it's a, it's a, it's a nice ride. Oh. And I, yeah, depend, if you got the time for it, because uh, it's a little bit slower ride, but it's uh, apparently a, a nice, very uh, sort of scenic uh, sort of route to take uh, uh, the railway out here. Life-changing, dude. A deep breath in Jasper, Alberta will revitalize your soul. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Nelson, let's get back to England, though. Enough about Jasper. Enough about the most amazing place in the world. Uh, is this particular app and trial getting some support and consultation from the blind and low vision community? Yeah, you, you always want to see if uh, if these apps are just be developing in-house, which in this case, uh, they seem to be. But they're, they're getting a lot of uh, consultation from... Uh, most people are familiar with this uh, charity uh, is the RNIB, the uh, Royal National Institute uh, of the Blind. Uh, so they're, they're giving it uh, their full support. And uh, I believe I linked the video on the CBT website where it shows a demonstration of the app uh, on uh, YouTube. So you can give it a little check and, and uh, see how it works and get some feedback from end users uh, from the YouTube video. All right, Nelson, let's get to your tech tip. Have you ever heard the expression that loose lips sink ships? Well, this was one for uh, iOS users who have loose fingers and immediate texting regrets. Nelson, how can somebody unsend a text in iOS 16? Yeah, I'm bad for this because uh, I use the dictation on iOS and it's uh, notoriously horrible. <laughs> so <laughs> I find that it's just easier just to send it than try to correct it. Uh, but sometimes uh, uh, you read that message and you realize like, oh, that that part did not turn out <laughs> uh, good at all. Um, so uh, be, uh, keep in mind, this is for iOS 16 users. Uh, so right now it's in beta. Uh, it's expected to come out in uh, September when they launched the new phone. Uh, there is a caveat with this. Uh, it only works with other uh, iPhones. Uh, no surprise there. <laughs> Closed garden. Um, so if, if you have the blue dot uh, and you're sending it to someone else who has the blue dot, uh, then it'll work for, for those users. Um, so you have to have uh, iOS 16, iPad OS uh, 16, and uh, the latest version of uh, Ventura for, on the Mac OS uh, for this to work. So uh, saying all that, um, so, so basically, uh, what we do. So, uh, if you're a non-voiceover user, uh, if you accidentally send that message and it wasn't quite what you wanted to say, uh, you would uh, tap and hold on it. Uh, for voiceover users, uh, it would be a, a double tap and hold. Um, 
I haven't been able to uh, get this to work on my phone. Uh, maybe it's because I don't know anyone <laughs> who has iOS 16. I seem to be the only one using it, uh, the beta version. Uh, but basically, you tap on the hold, it shows up a menu, uh, and then I'll give you the option to uh, unsend. Um, like right now, I could do it like a delete. It'll give me the, that option, but um, I think it just deletes it on my end. And then it'll, uh, it'll give like a visual look uh, where it'll do like a, a poof of blue dust. Um, and then uh, it'll say, give you a notification that, uh, uh, you know, that the message uh, was removed. Yeah. So it's, yeah, yeah. it's a feature that messengers had for, for quite some time. And uh, I'm sure Android's had it for years. Well, <laughs> Apple usually copies a lot. From I, well, I know WhatsApp offers this, for example, right, where you can delete your message to the group yeah. instantaneously, but the group still knows that Dave Brown sent a message at three in the morning, and they're always kind of <laughs> curious on what Dave Brown was opining about at three in the morning. Not that that's when I do my greatest thinking or texting or anything. Nelson, thank you for this. Great. Take care. That is Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech. Coming up after the break, we'll get to the entertainment report with Grace Scofield. Nazreen Abdelmajid will tell you what's trending, and we look ahead to Kelly and Company this afternoon with Ramya Amuth. And this is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Grace Scofield is on the other side of the glass with the entertainment report. Grace, there's an interesting musical collaboration brewing. Yes, there is. Elton John and Britney Spears announced yesterday that they will be collabing on a new duet of Elton John's song, Tiny Dancer. Oh, it's going to be called up. Hold Me Closer. I love Britney Spears. I love Elton John. This is going to be amazing. I'm so excited. They have no release date yet, but Elton John did share a link to pre-save the song, which usually means that it's coming <laughs> pretty soon. This is the world we live in. Pre-save I know. the song like, on your Spotify. This album. And it's like, okay, but also when is it coming out? Yeah, yeah. Please tell me. <laughs> So they haven't given us any news yet, but according to some sources, you can announce it at the end of the summer, beginning of the fall, mm-hmm. is when we can expect to hear this new song, which is going to be really exciting because Elton John just recently did a collab with Dua Lipa yeah. of Cold Cold Heart, mm-hmm. uh, what the song is called, I think. And it, it's a really good song, and I think that Elton John does this really well. Uh, he's done it with Lady Gaga. Uh, Dua Lipa, and now Britney Spears. So I'm pretty excited for it. Elton John working with talented people through and through. I know it's a cliche, but that is my favorite Elton John song. I love, love, love Tiny Dancer. It's very good. Almost (laughs) Famous drove that one right into your soul with that scene of the (laughs) sing-along on the bus, and you just really can't look past it. Dave Grohl's done a great cover of Tiny Dancer as well. So, so excited to hear what Britney and Elton are cooking up here. Grace, I'm going to force you into a binary, though. Okay. I'm going to force you into a binary on this one. Because both these people are essentially back on tour. Elton, the, the Elton farewell tour continuing and passing yes. through Toronto for the second time yes. on his farewell tour. <laughs> if I made you choose, you can, they're, they're, let's say they're in town on the same night. Who are you going to see? I'm upset at this question. I know. I apologize. Um, oh, God. Elton John or Britney Spears? I think probably Elton John. Yeah, I think obviously time the time frame plays yes. into it, right? Even though yes. this farewell tour has been going on for half a decade now, 
we know the opportunities are running out on Elton and I'd like to go see Elton, but I think I would really enjoy a Britney Spears concert. Similarly to how I would enjoy a Katy Perry concert is currently doing a uh, Vegas residency. Right. I would love yes. to go see like a 90 minute Britney show where I know I'm going to get the hits. That's the thing. I would love a Britney Spears show, but I think that she hasn't toured for so long that I would like her to do a tour first, kind of figure out her new groove, see yeah. what she's like yeah. when she comes back, and then go see Britney Spears. There you go. Got to work herself back into game shape. Exactly. Yeah, makes sense to me. <laughs> Grace, thank you for this. Of course. That's Grace Scofield with your entertainment report. Let's bring in Nizreen Abdelmajid to find out what's trending. Nizreen, social media saying goodbye to a Hollywood legend. Yes, so one of Canada's top trends is hashtag Olivia Newton-John. Olivia passed away on uh, yesterday, actually, August 8th, uh, at the age of 73. She played Sandy in Greece, the iconic, iconic movie. Um, A lot of people paid tribute to her passing. Her friend and former Greece co-star Didi Khan reflected on their last phone call just weeks before her passing. And um, Olivia's husband, John Easterling, and daughter, Chloe Latanzi, had uh, had been taking good care of her by her side. Um, and Dee Dee told Good Morning America, quote, she told me that she wasn't walking anymore and she had full-time care, but her husband, John, and her daughter, Chloe, were there all the time. And she told uh, me that they were just so hopelessly devoted, end quote. Um, she's been going through this over 30 years of breast cancer. So it's uh, it's been a really long time and her journey. And she's been uh, she's been an inspiration through this journey itself, minus, you know, her career, her her uh, career in being a big, big star. And uh, she's been loved by everyone. I mean, I'm going through the Twitter tweets and and I'm just like, that's a lot of people, a lot of big artists just loving her all all the way around. It's it's not just that she was a great actor. She also did a lot of opportunities to uh, take music on tour. I know that there's a lot of people in Ottawa who uh, think of a lot of the performances she did at the annual expo to be a really fun experience and really meaningful experience for them, thinking about songs of the summer and whatnot. But uh, even even as she was working through breast cancer and battling breast cancer, she was still very active in the industry. And I'm going to mention a movie she did in 2017. This isn't necessarily Mm -hmm. a movie recommendation, but she was in Sharknado five a global swarming so you know olivia was staying busy through and through yeah yeah absolutely and she she did so much for her community she uh she collaborated with so many artists as well like even actors and i loved how Didi khan who played frenchie in greece i loved how their friendship stayed you know like it was still cute and and uh Danny, uh, the main star of Grease, also paid tribute. It was it was really cute. So um, that friendship was real. That you know they they were like family back then, and I loved how they stuck together. And just weeks before her passing, um, I felt like you know it's it's like she knew you know it was close. So um, um, it was it was a sad sad day for Grease fans and. And, uh, you know, she's she's a very iconic person. Nizreen, thank you for this. You got it. That's Nizreen Abdelmajid with What's Trending. Let's bring in Ramya Amuthan to look to, add to look ahead to this afternoon when Kelly and Company hits the airwaves at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Hey, good morning, Ramya. Good morning, Dave. So, Ramya, what's coming up on the show today? 
All right. On today's show, we're talking about one third of Ontarians who haven't had an eye exam in over three years. Uh, this is obviously, yeah, included. I'm included. Step. I'm included in that one. Uh, same. So <laughs> it's not a great step. Um, but because of this, we want to talk about the the reason why, which many people believe that eyewear is not affordable. Uh, and there's an initiative that is discussing and um, assessing this. And we're going to learn more about uh, them with spec savers. That's the initiative and what they're doing to help combat these situations. Community reporter Julie Martin is talking about a few things going on in Pictou County, Nova Scotia. They have a couple things uh, celebrating the summer as well. And we're talking with award-winning sketch comedian and TikToker. Um, oh, sorry, I lost her name. <laughs> oh, Laura Promoso about her live comedy special that's underway on Thursday. Uh, it's very exciting, and she's going to tell us how she's feeling and what goes into it. Very cool. Ramya, sounds like a good show. Enjoy it, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Sounds good, Dave. That's Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly & Company. Coming your way, 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming your way next is the weekly news quiz. Karen McGee will be here. Mark Phoenix will be here. I currently am here. And so is Corinne Van Dusen. It's weekly news quiz time. Get your competitive juices flowing. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Karen McGee already texting me ahead of the weekly news quiz, giving me incorrect points for saying that the Elton John farewell tour has been going on for five years. Karen's claim is it's been going on for 25 years. So before we get Karen's thoughts on that, let's play the music, bring Corinne Van Dusen in and get the weekly news quiz underway. Thank you very much, Dave. We will go over the rules as we always do. Three rounds of questions, three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice options. If you answer the question without hearing the options, you get two points. You need to hear the options, you get one point. And if you get it wrong, we move on until the point is awarded. So the order of contestants was drawn by producer Paul Daniel, and they will be Karen, Dave, Denmark. Okay, question one, Karen. Last week, Yale scientists announced that they had revived cells in animals that had been dead for an hour. What type of animal were they? Okay, so it's either one or two stories. I don't know which. I'm going to go with pigs, but my second guess is spiders. But pigs I'm going to go with. Pigs is correct. When the scientists pumped an experimental solution called Organ X through their veins, the pig cells revived and their hearts began to beat. The process may someday make dead organs viable for human transplants. Isn't isn't this how The Walking Dead started? It is. (laughs) Well, then I'm much more happy it's not spiders. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Feral pigs don't sound too much better. I'll take the pigs over the spiders. (laughs) Yeah. Dave, last week, the U.S. Senate passed a bill that would newly extend medical benefits to veterans exposed to what? Oh, I'll take the options, please. Agent Orange, toxins from burn pits, friendly fire. Let's go with A. No, Mark. It's B, burn pits. 
That is correct. The bill would expand medical care to an estimated 3.5 million veterans who have been exposed to toxic substances from burning trash pits in the U.S. military bases. Senate Republicans had delayed final passage in an unsuccessful attempt to limit funding. Mark, your question is, 10 days ago, Elizabeth Johnson Jr. of Andover, Massachusetts, was exonerated 329 years after her conviction. What was she cleared of? <laughs> 329 years ago. You know what? I'm just going to take a swing for the fences here and guess witchcraft. You are correct. Johnson was officially cleared of being a witch until her exoneration. She had been the only person convicted during the Salem witch trials whose name had not been cleared. That's the end of round one. Grace, what do the points look like? Mark leads with three. Karen has two and Dave has zero. Big donut over here. <laughs> <laughs> now it's time to pick up some points, Dave. Last week, the European Union signed a new gas deal with which country doubling imports to help replace fossil fuels it was getting from Russia? I'll take the options, please. Nigeria, Azerbaijan, or Saudi Arabia? Let's go with Nigeria. No, Mark? Hmm. Normally, I'd say Saudi Arabia, but in this case, I wonder if it's Azerbaijan. That is correct. The okay. New Deal includes a commitment to deliver at least 20 billion cubic meters of natural gas to Europe each year in 15 years. Mark, what crashed into the fence at 24 Sussex Drive last Wednesday morning? My hopes and dreams. Um, <laughs> I, I am not sure, so I'll take the options. An amphibious tour bus, a French fry truck, a self-driving vehicle. <laughs> Let's say a self-driving vehicle's gotten itself into trouble. No, Karen? One of those amphibious buses. There was, I think there was two crashes that day. Yeah, there was. That is correct. It belongs to Lady Drive Tours. It crashed into the fence of the official yet unoccupied residence of the Prime Minister. No one was hurt. Dave, Ottawa police said last week that they decided not to lay charges in what Defense Minister Anita Anand called a desecration of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. What did the offending party do to the tomb? Corinne, as much as I want these points, I believe it's Karen's question. It's Karen's question. I'm just following along on my script. There you go. Karen, do you want the question again? <laughs> Can you repeat the question again? Ottawa police said last week they had decided not to lay charges in what Defense Minister Anita Anand called a desecration of the tomb of the unknown soldier. What did the offending party do to the tomb? Oh, um, there's no timeline, eh? Of when no. it happened? No hints? I'll take the choices then. A, wrote graffiti. B, chiseled their name on it. C, draped a U.S. flag over it. I was going to say Graffiti. No. So this goes to Dave now. I believe it was the drape I believe it was the draping of the flag. That is correct. Police declined delay charges after someone was captured draping the tomb of the unknown soldier in the US flag. That is round two. Grace is much better at points than I am at deciding who goes next, so we'll go to her for that. <laughs> Mark leads with four, Karen has three, and Dave has one. On the board. Okay. So we landed with Dave, and we'll start with Dave, right? I believe I believe the first question goes to Mark here, actually. I think it was Mark, Karen, Dave in the last round. Mark, Karen, Dave in the last round. There you go. Um, what actor was ordered by a judge last week to pay more than $30 million to television producers for losses brought on by his firing? 
Oh, I know I heard about this. Oh, Kevin Spacey. True. Spacey was fired in 2017 over sexual harassment allegations from crew members. Uh, and it was on what show? House of Cards. There you go. That's I, I can't give you extra points for that, but <laughs> that'd be fun to ask. <laughs> okay, Karen, when schools open later this month, one county in the U.S. in this U.S. state will offer enhanced school safety measures that includes the stocking of AR-15s for school resource officers in the event of an active shooter. What state is this county located? I'm going to guess Ohio. No. Dave? Okay. AR-15s, overcorrection to children being shooting by bringing more guns into the mix. It almost seems way too on the nose, but I'm going to say Texas. Nope. Mark? It's one of three states that are in my head. I'm going to ask for the options anyway, and it's probably going to be those three states and the options. (laughs) A, North Carolina. B, Tennessee. C, Alabama. Okay. North Carolina. Wow, Mark is right. (laughs) Were those were those the three you had in mind, Mark? No, it was uh, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina. Okay, okay. So there was a Carolina in there for sure. (laughs) We started with Mark. We went to Karen. Now it's Dave. A study released last week concluded this mammal acted very similarly to boy bands in order to attract mates. What (laughs) mammal is it? What mammal sings and dances like a boy band to attract mates? I mean, that could be many man, many many mammals like to dance to attract mates. Um, many birds do that as well, but birds aren't mammals. I need the options, please, Corinne. A platypus, B dolphins, C elephants. Platypus. No. Karen, do we have an answer? No, it's, it goes to Mark next. Mark, do we have an answer? Oh, geez. I was off for the last two weeks, so uh, that's going to be my excuse for this. Two, two, two of my favorite mammals other than humans. Um, let's go with dolphins. That's right. Oh, okay. A research done by the Shark Bay Dolphin Research Alliance said dolphins engage in synchronized song and movement with their friends to attract a mate. Marine scientists say a ritual they compare to boy bands in concert. Grace. What's going on with the points? We have a big winner, Mark, with eight points, Karen with three, and Dave with one. So Congratulations, the, Mark. The winner is? It is Mark. <laughs> Mark Phoenix. It's All me. Right. supposed to have a big... There we go. Boom, 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 There we go. We give it to... Mark, you've been on such a heater this summer. I think Karen and I have, like, taken a couple out of your grasp. But, man, you have been absolutely dominating us for months. I can't explain it. It's annoying. Well, don't worry, Karen. I won't be around much longer to take all the wins. You'll be able to rise to your to the peak that you've been waiting to reach. Way to shame me, Mark. Way to shame me. Listen. Oh, there we go. There we go. Your time is coming, Karen. 
Your yeah. time is coming. In, in my in my defense, I tried to throw Mark off for you two by getting all the names wrong. So that was my strategy there. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Good job. Normally, normally <laughs> we give away the crown at the end of uh, 2022 at the end of the year. But I think, yeah, this year we'll be giving it away at the end of fiscal. And I think Mark, I don't even know what the actual scoreboard says, but I'm pretty sure Mark is going to get the uh, Disney crown that we're that we're going to be giving away there because Mark has absolutely been taking us to town for uh, months on end now. So, Mark, well done. Congratulations. Karen, you. you sent me a text uh, in the last segment when we were talking about uh, Britney Spears, not Britney Spears, Elton John and Britney Spears collaborating. And I mentioned that Elton John had been on sort of a five year farewell tour. And uh, you sent me a, a pretty, a pretty upset text about about how you thought you went to see the farewell tour about 25 years ago. Upset is a strong word. I'm just saying I'm pretty sure when I saw him November 7th, 1997 in Ottawa, the rumor was that was his final goodbye show. Um, I think I got the tickets the day before and sat in behind the stage. It was wonderful. It was a great concert. I would 10 out of 10 would go again. But yeah, 1997. It's kind of like Cher. Cher was doing concert farewell tours for, what, 20 years? I think Kiss has been doing farewell tours for about about two decades as well. Like, hey, we swear this is the last one. Well, it's not the last one, but it's the last one we're going to wear makeup for. So come see this one. This is the one you have to go see. So I think uh, bands will play that game from time to time. Uh, Guys, we've only got a couple of, well, 45 seconds here. So got to be quick on this answer. Mark, if I give you the choice of seeing Britney Spears live in concert or Elton John, what's your choice? Oh my goodness. Um, you know what? I'll go with Brittany. Atta boy. Corinne, Brittany or Elton? I've already seen Brittany, so I'll go and see Elton. Go and see Elton. Karen, Brittany or Elton? Elton. Okay. Yeah. Elton's getting 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 all our dollars here. Uh as he as he does his last second penultimate farewell we'll see <laughs> we'll see how many farewells there end up being hey mark congratulations on the big win thank you karen a good effort by you a nice second place finish and corinne excellent job as quiz master we always appreciate you stepping in that's all the time we have for the show today we will be back again tomorrow morning 9 a.m eastern time shane baker is going to be here we'll talk to him out in victoria british columbia he's been doing a lot of work monitoring some of the wildfires out there so we'll get his perspective on that one you'll also hear from mike agarbo He'll talk about what's happening in the world of technology news. The show starts at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.